Very often we're, we're feeding the beast unintentionally um, and, 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 and furthering polarization in ways that is unhealthy and that I know scientists don't want to do. Welcome to a new episode of Shot of Science, a podcast series where we ask some of the world's top scientists what they're thinking about right now. This is your host, Anna Rasquet-Paz. I'm the engagement editor here at Annual Reviews. And today I wanted to share a conversation I had in November 2019 on the sidelines of the National Science Policy Network Symposium in Madison with Dietram Schofilla of the University of Wisconsin. He studies the science of science communication, and I wanted to find out how scientists sometimes inadvertently hurt their cause when they talk about their work. Here's Dietram. A lot of problems come from us approaching communication in, intuitively and using our, our intuitive understanding of what could work or probably does work, rather than relying on what we know from social science and, and other scientists, which is ironic, about what is really effective. And, and so one of the things that I think is really problematic is if we assume that the public will share our values and think the same way about the science that we do, um, and very often what that means is that we end up presenting science in ways that directly conflicts or seems at odds with people's values when it very often really is not. Um, and that could be their religious values, that could be their political values. And where, for example, um, we know from, from you know, decades of research now that, that just mentioning climate change and insisting that it's real uh, not only does very little to change attitudes or buy into, into climate change, uh, but but very often makes audiences dig in even deeper and, and think that this is just a political attempt to 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 basically get regulations through that otherwise um, what they think Democrats wouldn't be able to get through. So I think very often we're, we're feeding the beast unintentionally um, and, 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 and furthering polarization in ways that is unhealthy and that I know scientists don't want to do. Scientists, you know, you mentioned this in your talk earlier, scientists also tend to kind of reinforce their bias. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, their, their values or their biases are, are, of course, something that, that many scientists think they leave by the door when they do science. But, of course, all of us have political views, all of us have, have, have values. Um, and so, uh, you know, for instance, uh, when scientists talk about, about you know, political groups um, not making smart decisions when they, when they mock people who don't vaccinate their children um, for, for, for being stupid or for, for not being scientific or for not, you know, listening to scientists, um, what they're forgetting is that, that very seldom has an effective conversation started with, you don't understand. Um, that tends to not open hearts and minds, I mean, and I think that's true for all of us. Uh, I think none of us are convinced by somebody who walks up to us and says, you don't know, and let me tell you how it is. Um, and, uh, you know, we often joke about mansplaining, and I think this is one thing that scientists are really good at. Um, and, Science-plaining. Uh, <laughs> Science-plaining, <laughs> exactly. Maybe that is a good word. Um, uh, Science-plaining is, is as ineffective as mansplaining, and it, it leads to the same kind of emotional reaction from, from your audience, and, 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 and certainly not to an open conversation about, about, you know, highly complex and highly important technologies. Are there techniques that scientists can learn and... Um do they do these techniques work across the board or you know are they different techniques depending on who you're talking to it depends on who you're talking to and it depends on what your intended outcomes are right so sometimes we really 
of course, just want to change behaviors. We want people to vaccinate. And, and, and we know that very often um, facts don't necessarily make a big difference there. There are things like what your neighbors do, what your friends do that have a much bigger influence on you vaccinating their children, vaccinating your children than anything that a scientist could say. So there are very different mechanisms for behavior change. Then there are, for instance, sometimes we want to we do actually want to get facts across. If 80% of the American public thinks that DNA should be labeled in their food, then that's a problem because if they're mixing up DNA and GMOs, um, and there's probably some corrective that, that, so sometimes we just want to get information across. But very often, I think, and in most cases, what we want to have is a conversation about what to do with emerging technologies. Should we move forward with CRISPR and edit the human genome? Um, what are, what's going to happen to, 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 to income and lower income um, publics with AI and our sense of privacy and everything else? Those are conversations that will have to be informed by the best available science. Um, and, and science needs to be part of the conversation. So that's where the strategy really is. Let's not polarize or speak only to one audience or polarize different audiences even further, but rather present science in a way that's palatable across different groups if those are defined by religion, by, by political values. So can we speak to the, to the public at large, as, as, as imperfect a term as that is, uh, but not break the public up into different sub-publics, some of whom listen to us on climate change and some of us don't, some of, us some of whom listen to us on vaccines and some of whom don't. That's not productive for science and it's not produ productive for democracy. We're just going to take a quick break. Stay with us. What is known? What isn't known? Knowable Magazine, the award-winning journalistic publication from Annual Reviews, seeks to make that knowledge accessible to all. Knowable reports on the current state of play across a wide variety of fields, from agriculture to high-energy physics, biochemistry to water security, the origins of the universe to psychology. Every piece is deeply reported, fact-checked, and free to read and to republish. To stay in the know, head to knowablemagazine.org newsletter and sign up for the free Sunday newsletter today. We are back. Next, Dietram expounds a little bit on whether scientists should rely on the media to spread the word. Um, what responsibility, if any, do um, the media bear in how scientific information gets treated? I think what we're having, what we're seeing with media, of course, media are not the translators of science. Um, it's, they're not the cheerleaders of science. That's not their job. Uh, media are there to, to tell the public why they should be paying attention to certain area of science, why those may be relevant, how they're connected to their daily lives. I think scientists often misunderstand the role of the media as basically their PR machine, and that's not true. Um, having said this, I think there, there are better ways and not so good ways of, of covering emerging science. Uh, the fact that, that most Americans don't understand how a random control trial or even an experiment works or can't define the elements of a scientific study is a bit problematic um, if it comes down to them judging a good from a bad study. Uh, the other thing that's highly problematic, and it's, it's just the nature of the beast, is that, of course, an interesting study that has a completely counterintuitive finding um, and, and, and makes these grandiose claims about power posing or whatever it may be, gets a lot of coverage because it's interesting. Um, and John Stewart at some point said on, when he still was a, had, his, had his show on Comedy Central that nobody wants to cover a truck not on fire. So the truck on fire is really the, the, the thing that we're covering, and so that means the, the, the weird study that, that, that is at odds with all the other research. But that's, of course, the exact opposite of how science works. 
right? Science works by accumulating evidence and, and after dozens and dozens of studies, we're beginning to realize that there may be a real phenomenon there, but we're constantly proving ourselves wrong. Um, but by focusing on the, on the exceptions rather than the patterns, we're basically setting ourselves up for failure because of course that study is going to get retracted eventually or is going to get debunked eventually or is going to prove to be not quite as true as it was originally. That's the whole point of science, the, the, the falsification. And I think th that pattern, I think we really need to, to think over the, 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 the kind of coverage by study and rather getting at the overall, what are the interesting trends that are emerging where scientists are beginning to coalesce around or science is beginning to coalesce around a consensus. Um, I know that there, there are differences between how a commercial media system works and, and, and how ideal science coverage works, but, um, but, but we've got to figure out some solutions to that. Otherwise, we're going to do damage to, to science and, I think, to the, to the media that are covering it. One last question. Do you see a change happening in the research scientific community um, in terms of how they communicate, whether they even decide to communicate? Do you think that's changing? I think we're seeing, uh, so the short answer is yes, yes, I think it's changing. Um, we're, we're seeing in surveys that we do with scientists, these are typically the leading scientists um, identified by, by age indices and other metrics related to their, to their productivity. And we ask them questions about how often they communicate, if they see value, for example, in talking to the public very quickly, even before going through peer review, if they really think there's an important finding. Um, and we're seeing a really a generational change where a younger generation, and this conference I think is a good example of that, a younger generation coming with a very different sense of what their role is as participants in public discourse um, than, than, than what used to happen. Um, I teach a class here at UW, uh, a doctoral level class that uh, typically enrolls about two-thirds of bench scientists who take our doctoral minor in, in science communication um, uh, here at Wisconsin. Um, and usually at the beginning of the semester, one of the students sends me an email saying, I'm sorry, I can't take your class because my PI told me that I shouldn't spend the time on, on this stuff um, and instead spend it in the lab. And, and with almost 100% certainty, that PI is an old white male. So again, um, in, in, in science, change happens one funeral at a time. All right, thank you so very much. This was Shot of Science. I'm Anna Rasquat-Paz. Thank you to Dietram Schoffler, who holds the John E. Ross Chair in Science Communication in the Department of Life Sciences Communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. If you want to learn more about effective science communication, we've linked in the show notes to the resources Dietram has shared with us. Join us next time for a conversation with Nicole Turner-Lee, who researches how unequal access to technology is deepening the economic divide. Annual Reviews is a nonprofit publisher dedicated to synthesizing and integrating knowledge for the progress of science and the benefit of society. Music today by South London Hi-Fi and Andrew Langdon.